I invite you now to turn with me in your Bibles to the <coughs> Romans, the letter of Paul to the Romans, chapter 12. I want to read the entire chapter with you in connection with Lord's Day 49. I know it's our practice to have the Lord's Day sermon in the afternoon, but because of the special occasion of the baptism this afternoon, we're going to do the Lord's Day this morning. Romans chapter 12. Hear the word of God with me. This is the word of the Lord. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good thus far. Then I invite you also to turn in the back of your Psalter hymnal to Lord's Day 49. I find that on page 895 in the back of the Psalter hymnal, Lord's Day 49, question and answer 124, as we continue our study on the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Day 49, question and answer 124, page 895. And I remind you that this is your confession of faith as it is mine. And here the question is asked, what does the third petition, that's the third petition then of the Lord's Prayer, what does the third petition mean? 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any back talk to obey your will for it alone is good. Help everyone carry out his office and calling as willing and faithfully as the angels, willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Thus far the reading of God's holy word and the summary of that word as we found it in the creeds and confessions of the church. May God add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word again this morning. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ gathered here in Salem with me this morning. You all know the story of Father Jacob and his sons, but I want to point you to that particular incident in their lives when his sons returned from Egypt where they had gone looking for food and they told their father that they had to leave Simeon behind as a guarantee that they would return and that the next time they went they would have to bring Benjamin. You remember, don't you? It was all a ploy by Joseph, who by now was governor in Egypt, but neither Jacob nor his sons knew that. But what Jacob did know was that Joseph and Benjamin were his two favorite sons, born of his favorite wife, Rachel. Jacob's heart was heavy. Jacob's heart was pained. Jacob's heart was broken. His son Joseph was already gone, mysteriously devoured by some wild animals. Simeon was being held captive somewhere off in Egypt, and now Benjamin's future was threatened, and Jacob cried out in despair. Joseph is dead. Simeon is no more. And now you will take Benjamin as well? All these things are against me. Now, from a human perspective, we can understand his despair, but coming from a man of God, his outburst was a statement of unbelief. Jacob had failed to reckon with what was then what, what the Lord was actually that the Lord was actually at work, that the Lord was at work working out a plan not to take Benjamin, rather to save the entire clan of Jacob. Think with me of that incident a little bit later when Joseph reveals himself to his father and to his brothers. You know that story as well. His brothers had sought to kill him, but instead they had sold him into slavery. And they were filled with envy, jealousy, and hatred. They wanted to destroy their own brother, and they, they thought they had. But then when years later they're confronted with Joseph, Joseph cries out, You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, God's hand of providence was behind all of these incidents. And God would use all of these incidents. God would use even the sinful actions of hate-filled men to bring his purposes to pass. God used the evil actions of Jacob's sons to bring the Old Testament church into Egypt in order to save them from the famine. Imagine that. God used the sinful actions of evil men to save the entire generation of the covenant. This may come to a surprise or even a shock to some of us, but God can indeed and God does often make a straight hit with a crooked stick. If you were to ask me then, can God use a crooked person, even a crooked politician, to bless his people, to bless his church? The answer is here. And it is yes, he not only can, but he does. However, in fairness to Jacob, 
when he cried out in despair concerning the sons he thought he had lost. He had no way of knowing God's will in the matter. Jacob could have no way of knowing God's design and God's intent. All he knew was what he saw. And all that he saw was how the immediate circumstances affected him personally at this particular time. And he objected strenuously. All these things are against me. He could be excused from not knowing exactly what the Lord was doing. It was not revealed to him. It was as yet all part of the hidden will of God. However, he did know, and had he remembered that, 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 nothing, that nothing could separate him from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ, had he remembered that, then he would have known that his, his calling was to simply uh, obey the Lord. And then uh, what he, he would have not cried out in such unbelieving despair. Jacob, at least at that time, was not prepared to pray, Father, may thy will be done. That would come later. The Lord Lord would need to plane some of the rough edges off of Father Jacob yet. The Lord would need to soften his heart before he could surrender his life into the care of his Father in heaven. All by contrast, how different the anguished cry of our Lord Christ when he was faced with the agony of Golgotha. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass over me. Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but may thy will be done. The confession before us this morning would teach us of the need of that kind of submission. Our confession speaks of these things this morning, and I want to administer God's word to you following the leading of the catechism, using as my simple theme, thy will be done. Thy will be done. We will learn that the third petition requires that we renounce our own will. It further requires that we will submit to God's will. And finally, we will learn that it requires of us that we submit to God's will willingly and even cheerfully. Congregation, in the beginning, God created man as a rational being. That is to say, man was created with a mind and with a will. More correctly, man was created with a free will. Only man and the angels were created as rational creatures, but man enjoys also the privileged honor of being created in God's image. And the full development of that privilege consisted in man's ability to to willingly serve God. Oh, indeed, the sun, the moon, and the stars, they all do the will of God, but they do so because of the laws of nature created in them. Even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish in the sea, the trees and the grass, the herbs, they all unconsciously, instinctively follow certain natural laws ordained for them by God. But for man, in the image of God, that was all so different. You see, man was created to serve God, not unconsciously, but consciously, by the voluntary exercising of the will which God had given him. Man was able and man was required to voluntarily choose between God and Satan. He had to face what is often referred to as the probationary command. He was, if you will, he was on probation. He could obey or disobey. God opened a way whereby man, created in God's image, 
with all of these excellent gifts, through the proper use of them, he could achieve eternal life. But you remember the story. Man did choose, but man made the wrong choice. Man used the ability that God had given him, the ability which God gave him with which to obey and to serve him. He used that ability to blatantly disobey him. And by that one sinful act of disobedience, man willfully destroyed himself and plunged himself and all of his posterity, including you and I, into death. Man, every man, Every woman, every child is now born spiritually dead. We will hear of that in the baptismal service this afternoon. The parents will confess that their newborn child is conceived and born in sin, worthy of all manner of misery up to and including eternal condemnation. Why? Because of the fall in paradise. Man now comes into the world spiritually dead in sin and trespass. And the inherited corruption has affected all of man's faculties and capacities, including his will. Man's understanding has become darkened. And now as consequence of Adam's sin, his will, man's will now, is contrary to God's will. He remained a man with a will after the fall, but the fall so affected his will that man's will is now opposite to God's will. And that's man's problem. Our Lord confirmed that when he cried out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often have I not tried to gather you as a hen gathers her chickens? How often have I not tried to gather you that you might have salvation, but you would not come. You would not come in order that you might receive salvation. You see, men and women, through the exercise of their own will, they will not come because they cannot come because they are dead in sin and trespass as consequence of the fall. Man's own will is corrupted by sin. Man's will is now in bondage to sin. And even the will of those born again are inclined by nature because of the remains of sin that still clings to them even after having been born again from above what comes naturally to men and women is to desire the opposite of God's will that's what comes naturally to us and therefore Jesus teaches his disciples and us and all men to pray oh father help me to renounce my will and oh lord may thy will be done also by me But what does that then mean then, to do God's will? Well, according to scripture, God's will can be understood in a twofold sense. There is the will of God's decree, or if you will, his secret will, and there is the will of God's command, or if you will, his revealed will. So we have his decree, his command, or his secret and his revealed will. And these are not two different wills, but they are two aspects of the same will of God. There is one undivided will in God, but that one will is partially hidden from us and partially revealed to us. And therefore we speak of a hidden and a revealed will of God. That was the point of the illustration I used earlier. 
Jacob's sons knew that to kill or injure their brother was forbidden, but they chose to give in to their sinful desire of their own heart. They were filled with hate and, 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 and jealousy. They knew God's will. It had been revealed to them. Jacob himself, on the other hand, knew only that he and his sons would have to go to Egypt for food. We now, we now know the rest of the story from Scripture, but Jacob didn't know that, that God would reunite him with all of his sons, that God would greatly bless and multiply them there in Egypt, and that God would lead the Old Testament church, the nation Israel, from there to Sinai, to Horeb, and beyond to Bethlehem and Golgotha. None of that would have been known to him. He would only know a small portion of God's will, but the portion that was revealed to him became a command to him and to his sons to obey and to submit, even if it made no sense, even if their will was so far different. People got this, this petition <clears throat> does not call us to a passive, simple acceptance of the Lord's will. No, the Lord here calls us, hear me well, the Lord here calls us to an active obedience to do his revealed will. The prayer is, Lord, grant to us to renounce our will and to do thy will and to discharge the duties of our calling. My dear congregation, to renounce our own will, that does not come easy to us. Our own will is very strong but it's also always wrong. Only God's will is good and right and true. But we, even as Christians, so often we want to follow our own wills. In fact, in fact, many times we try to use the hidden will of God to justify our disobedience to the revealed will of God. You see, our own will often seems better to us than even God's will. And it is not unusual to see otherwise faithful Christians searching out Bible texts, taking them out of context in order to offer them in support for their own wills. You know what I mean. How often does it not happen that a child of the church wants to marry an unbeliever and then to justify their sinful desire, they will argue that we just can't know what the will of the Lord is in this matter. Perhaps they say, perhaps, perhaps they say, perhaps the Lord wants to convert this unbelieving person through my marriage to him or to her. Maybe God's will is that by my marrying him or her, they will be exposed to the things of the kingdom and they will be converted and won't God then be pleased? They will even continue this dishonest, disobedient deception by suggesting that the church could well be, the church could well be hindering the will of the Lord by opposing that marriage. It is true, we do not know what would come, good or bad, of such a marriage, but we do know what the will of the Lord is. It is revealed to us in 2 Corinthians 6, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, period, case closed. So simple, isn't it? We know exactly what the will of the Lord is. It has been revealed to us in Scripture, but it's not our will. And so we begin to frame the arguments, but people of God, 
to go contrary to that revealed will is nothing less than setting our will against the Lord's will. And it is now precisely that sin that Christ teaches us to pray against in this petition. Lord, Lord, may thy will be done. Help me to renounce my will and help me to obey thy will. In fact, we could rephrase the the petition to read, Father, make me obedient to thy will. People of God, think. Think very carefully and seriously with me as we try to grasp this concept. Prayer has consequences. Contrary to the popular slogans and bumper stickers, it is not true that prayer changes things. That concept does violence to the scriptural truth and doctrine of the immutability of God. Prayer does not change things, but prayer does change the people who pray. In that sense, we may say that prayer has consequences. And if we are not prepared for the consequences of our prayer, then it is best for you not to pray. You understand what I mean, don't you? You see, renouncing our own will is not so simple. It takes effort. It involves a great and constant battle. It takes a great deal of prayer. If we understand that our will, because of sin, is always wrong, then you also know that to subject our will to God's will will be a constant, lifelong struggle. Each day again, your fallen heart will seek to lead you astray. And every night again, you will need to get on your knees and bow your knees and, 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 and bow your head and plead with God for the grace to be conformed, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, as we read, to know what is the good and acceptable will of God. But the confession goes on. Not only are we to learn to renounce our own will, we are also to learn to discharge the duties of our office and calling as willingly and as faithfully as the angels in heaven. In other words, in other words, when we pray, thy will be done, we are asking, Father, may thy will be done by us on earth as faithfully and as willingly as it is already now being done by the angels in heaven. Remember with me now that man fell. Man sinned in the garden. We all know that story. Man was created with free will. Man's will was free in the sense that he was given the ability to choose good over evil, but he was also free to choose to do evil over good. And man did so. He made a conscious choice, but he chose the evil, and as a result, man died spiritually. And the consequence of that spiritual death was that man's will was so affected that it's no longer free. I've explained all of that. Man's will after the fall is now in subjection to the prince of darkness. Man's will is now opposite to God's will. Incidentally, it is at this precise point that the Calvinist parts company with the Arminian. 
You see, the Arminian will agree that man's will is affected by the fall, but he goes on to argue that there is still sufficient grace in fallen man to be able to choose to be a Christian. No, 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 not so, says the Bible. As consequence of the fall, man is dead in sin and trespass, and dead men and women cannot make good spiritual choices. Away then with the foolishness of such things as altar calls. After the fall, man's will was so affected that his will was in bondage to sin. It is no longer free. But that, but that was different for the angels. The angels in heaven, at least those who did not revolt against God. They are still in that state of perfection in which God created them. They are God's ministering spirits sent to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. You and I, those perfect angels, they're set before us as our example. When Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he gave us an example to follow. As the angels in heaven do the will of God, so willingly, so perfectly, and so faithfully, so should we perform our duties here on earth in relation to the will of God. Grant, Father, that each of us may discharge the duties of our office and calling as willingly and as perfectly as do the angels. People of God, begin to put some of these pieces together and begin to capture the content of this petition. The confession talks about faithfully performing the duties of our office and calling. The two words are very similar, but they're not the same. A calling is a vocation we choose. An office is a calling to which we have been appointed. Indeed, the petition asks that those who are called to the special offices may be found to be faithfully performing their duties, but at the same time, those not called into the special offices, they're not excused from the same requirement, required faithfulness. You see, all Christians, you will remember, all Christians have an office. You will remember, I hope, from an earlier Lord's Day, that we are Christians because we share in Christ's threefold office. And the question before us now is, are we, are we willing, cheerful, and faithful prophets who speak and confess the name of God? Are we willing, cheerful, and faithful priests in our dedicated service to the Lord? Are we faithful, cheerful, and willing kings fighting to rule over ourselves and the world for God's glory? Are we? Are we? Or is there still room for us to pray this petition? My dear, precious people of God, to pray thy will be done is to confess that there are two personalities within us. One motivated by God's will, the other one driven by our own will. We are confessing here that a war, a battle of wills rages within us. The two wills, they are at odds with each other, and they are at odds with each other within us. 
And the prayer is, Lord, help me to give up that fight. Lord, help me to stop resisting thy will. Lord, help me to stop insisting on having it my way. Help me to stop insisting on my will. Lord, help me to surrender my will to thy will. Lord, help me to surrender my will to thy will. For only thy will is good and true and right. But capture this well with me. The prayer is not that we simply surrender our minds. It is not that we simply give assent to certain beliefs and doctrines. The prayer is not that we simply agree about what God says in his Bible, but that nothing changes and that we remain as stubborn and selfish as always. Except now we give our life a little religious color just as the Pharisees did. No, the prayer is, Lord, grant that I may do thy will as perfectly as the holy angels. Lord, grant that a result, as a result of this prayer, I may become so changed that the world will stand in amazement as they see the Christ in me. Father, may thy will be done. My dear precious saints of God, what a glorious prayer this is. But at the same time, what a difficult prayer to make. To take these words upon our lips is to confess that we agree with God's plan for our lives. Do you understand what that means, really? Do you understand what it means that we agree with God's plan for our lives? It is to know, it is to believe, it is to understand and to accept that our lives are not the way they are because of chance or circumstances. No, our lives, our circumstances are the way they are because God has designed and willed it to be so. To pray this petition is to understand that and to be content. It is to have learned Christian contentment. Follow with me. To know that it has pleased God to lead us to poverty or illness or financial difficulty, even financial ruin, is by nature not to our liking. And, and then Satan stirs up our natural tendency towards discontentment. And that's pre precisely what we see all around us. Men and women are not content with their station in life. Men and women are not content with their jobs. They're, they're not content with, with their wives or their husbands. Men and women are not content with their financial status in life. Men and women are not content because, because they have not understood that their lot in life was appointed them by God. And as long as they don't understand that, they also do not see that their discontent and resentment with respect to their allotment in life is actually rebellion against God. To pray thy will be done is to confess that we agree with God's plan for our lives. It is, it is to agree with being in an unhappy marriage. It is to agree to an illness 
or to poverty, unemployment, loneliness, death, death of ourselves or a loved one. That's not to say that we always understand or that we can always explain every detail of our lives, especially when God leads us through dark, stormy nights and raging waters. But it does mean that whatever our circumstances, we trust that God's will is good and that God is working out his plan for our lives in accordance with his with his good will but then people of God as difficult as it may be on occasion when God wills when God's will is so obviously different from ours to pray this petition from the heart then the prayer becomes a prayer of victory oh capture this with me for this is one of those seeming contradictions of the Christian faith You see, the life of a Christian is a happy, contented life. It's a life that has purpose and meaning because through the eyes of our faith, the Christian sees all of human life as part of God's great plan for redemption and salvation. And the Christian sees himself simply as part and parcel of that and as a servant in the hands of the master to that end. Oh, that to even that end is involved in this petition. You see, we read, Father, grant that we and all men may do thy will as perfectly as do the holy. What does that mean, that all men? Well, when all men do the Lord's will, when all men, and women, of course, do the Lord's will as perfectly as do those angels in heaven, then will be the time that there is no longer a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness because then there will be only one kingdom the kingdom of heaven on earth so in this petition we pray for the coming of the time when all things will have been made new we pray for the time that the new earth will be inhabited only by new born again people you've got I recently read of a story of a preacher who was at constant odds with a man of his congregation who had convinced himself that he was a very spiritual being he was convinced that he was a Christian but there was no evidence of that in his daily life in fact the minister and the congregation saw no fruit at all in the man And one Sunday, the minister delivered a sermon in which, among other things, he expounded on the biblical truth that faith without works is no faith, and that the kingdom of God was closed to those who refused to renounce their own will. He went on to quote the Lord himself when the Lord had said that on that last day, there will be many people who would cry out, Lord, Lord, and the Lord would say, go away, you have deceived yourself. I never knew you. And as could be expected, the gentleman immediately buttonholed the preacher after church. He was angry. Obviously, the word of God had pricked his conscience, but it only served to further harden his heart against the servant of God. He wanted the preacher to know that despite the thoughts of the preacher on this matter, he was convinced that the Lord would receive him. It is an accurate description, people have got, of so many of us. Our own will is so important 
and any reminder that we are to deny ourselves and renounce our own will or be lost is met with great resistance. We convince ourselves that we can have what we want and we can have the Lord too. It will not be possible. The preacher looked the man in the eye and asked, Do you think you would be happy in heaven? Of course, retorted the man. But, said the preacher, what makes heaven heaven is the fact that there are only that they're there only and always God's perfect will is done perfectly by all men willingly and cheerfully but you have always lived as you pleased you have always insisted on having it your way and I fear that you would be horribly out of place in heaven and the Lord knows that and consequently you will not be permitted to go there People of God, this petition stands in close relation to our salvation. In heaven we will see only those who have earnestly sought to renounce their own wills and who have sought, even painfully sought, to know and to do only the will of the Lord. We know what God's will is. To know the will of God is to know the commandments of God in precept and in principle. To love him is to keep his commandments. It is to walk in the way of obedience to his law in, obedience, in principles and in precept. Oh, indeed, we will never be saved because of our obedience. But Jesus taught us that in order to see and to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must be born again. And then he went on to teach us, capture this, that he or she who is born again cannot help but love him by keeping his commandments in principle and precept out of sheer gratitude for that gift of so great a salvation already received. But finally and briefly, for my time is moving on, can we do that? Can we? Can we with our sin-darkened fallen hearts, can we do the will of the Lord? Yes, 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 we can, because, because of Jesus Christ. You see, not only do we find in Christ a pattern for perfect obedience, not only do we find in the life of Jesus the standard for our obedience, but, but, but in his perfect obedience, in his obedient life, in his sacrificial atoning death, we find also the power and the strength necessary for us to subject ourselves to his will. You see, Christ is not only our example, he is also our savior. By his life and through his death on the cross, his obedience to the will of God becomes our obedience to God and God accepts Christ's obedience in our stead that now is the very heart and essence of the gospel you've heard the gospel of God's great grace in Christ again this morning there now in just a few short words is given us the entire meaning of his death for our sin and failure what we were unable to do because of our fallen condition Christ did for us he was obedient to the Father, obedient up to and including that accursed cross on Golgotha's hill. But, but, but by his obedient life and death, he has broken, he has broken the power of sin that ensnared us. The power of sin, of Satan and death has been put asunder and it no longer has dominion over us. We have been saved from death 
but we, we have been rescued from the power of darkness. We have been saved indeed, but we have been saved to serve. Through the death and the resurrection of Christ, we have been freed. Through his atoning death, we have been given the desire and the ability to do the will of the Lord. In Jesus Christ, our born-again hearts now have the power to do the will of God. There now is the content of this petition. To take upon our lips the words, Thy will be done, is to pray to God that he would grant the necessary power to do that will. It is a prayer asking God to make us obedient to his revealed will in scripture. It is to pray along with the Old Testament saints as they read and heard the law of God. Oh Lord, incline my heart to thy testimonies and ordinances. It is to pray, oh Lord, grant me an obedient and a willing heart. It is to pray for and to receive that great benediction of the New Testament. You'll hear it from God's mouth every Sunday. Now the God of peace that brought again from the, from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, may he make you complete in every good work to do his will. May it be so for each of us. May that glorious benediction rest on each of us and on.